Everyone? So good to see you today. Would you wave at somebody around you? Just turn, look around a little bit, and just smile. Man, you don't have your mask on now. Just give them a smile. They'll be glad to see you and to know that it's you. So good to be here today. How many of you would rather be here than the finest hospital around? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at that. How many of you would rather be here than in prison today? Absolutely. Wonderful. It's good to see you here today. And uh, you maybe had to come here because your mom told you you had to come or your dad or whatever, but you know what? It's all right. You're going to be well. And it's so good to be here and to be here with God's people, the people all around us. And it's a wonderful opportunity. Have you ever gone to bed and now you're quiet, your house is quiet and the lights are out and everything is hitting sleepy town? Oh, wow. It's a wonderful moment. You finally are resting and you're feeling like you can exhale and you're just hitting off into la-la land. And all of a sudden you remember something and you need to get out of bed and you got to go take care of it. Whatever it is, you've got to get up. Well, you don't want to disturb everyone else and you don't want to turn on all the lights and, you know, make a lot of noise. So you kind of tiptoe and creep through the house and you're trying to just mind your own business and all of a sudden your foot finds a Lego. It absolutely hurts. You want to scream, you want to hop, but if you hop, you might land on another Lego and you're afraid and it just hurts like everything and you grab it and you cringe. You needed to have some kind of light in that house, some kind of light to show you the way something that would help you. You know, light kind of expands our opportunities, doesn't it? Light gives us the opportunity to do more things than we might have done otherwise. We used to pass by Berlinsville down here at the intersection, and they have beautiful ball fields there. One day, I noticed that they put these big poles up, and they put lights up on the top of them, and those light standards that they put in place allowed them to play ball after it got dark. Beforehand, my boys would play down there, and it would get dark, and they would have to wrap up the game, or one more inning, or you know, and all that stuff. They would have to make sure they scheduled it to where they could play it in the day, and they would get done. But now, if you want to play, you can turn the lights on, and you can play all night long down. It expands opportunity. Light gives us hope. When Bethlehem, the community, the town was named Bethlehem, just a few miles from here, when it was named Bethlehem, on that day the Moravians put lighted candles in their windows to represent the invitation to Jesus to make his way straight. How many of you have lights in your windows? We have lights in our windows year-round, I love them. And so it's neat to be able to have some lights in the windows to be able to shine out. It's great. I was reading from one, one pastor, and he had, he had said this, Robert Russell, he said he was frustrated going through his neighborhood because he said when he went through his neighborhood, his neighbors in his cul-de-sac in his neighborhood right there, they had left on their lights, Christmas lights through January, and he thought, surely they'll take them down. They kept them on and kept them on. <laughs> and so they turned them on in February, and he thought, man, I'm going to go safe. March, they have them on. And then, and then, he said, middle of March, he saw this big sign out front. They welcomed home their son from the military. He said, I didn't understand, but he said that light was a light. It meant something. That light was giving some hope. We need light. We must have light. Jesus is teaching in our passage that we've read today in John chapter 8. It's one of those powerful truth bombs that he drops 
It's one of those moments whenever he's going to say something big. He's just going to say something big, and uh, people are going to have to process it however they want. So he is, he's getting ready to teach, and as he's getting ready to teach, we need to know where he is. He's at the temple, so we kind of think of a temple like this. No, he's not at a place quite like this. He's in the outer court. It's called the women's court of the temple. Men and women could be there, and there could be a lot of hustle and bustle in that area. And so they would light lights in that area, and they would be able to be there with many people around, and many things would happen. They would spend long hours there. And so in this setting, Jesus is talking, and here's what he says when he comes down to verse 12. I am the light of the world. That's a truth bomb, man. That is a huge statement. Now, the people around him were some of the religious people gathering around now, and they're starting to question him. They said to him, well, how could you even say this? You, you can't say something like that unless you have a witness to validate, to verify what you're saying is the truth. And he says to them, no, 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 I could say it myself, and that would be enough. But he says, I'm saying it, but my father is also saying, they said, well, who's your dad? Who's your daddy? They're saying, who's your dad? And so as they ask, who's your dad? He is saying, well, you don't know my father. If you knew my father and if you knew me, you would understand this. So he's saying to them, even though you're really religious, get a load of this, even though you're really religious, you don't even know God. Let me pause for station identification. Are you religious or do you know God? You want to know God. (laughs) And we know him through his son, Jesus, right? And so when we know God through Christ... And through his salvation he gives to us, his death, his resurrection, then we have that relationship that we need with our Father. This is absolutely powerful stuff. And so he talks to them. And by the time you get down to verse 20, you see what happens here? They wanted to, uh, you could tell they wanted to. They wanted to go ahead and crucify him then, right? John 8, 20, they want to go ahead and crucify him. But notice what the scripture says. They could not touch him, for his hour had not yet come. In other words, they wanted to go ahead and have the crucifixion right then. But God the Father says, you're not going to do that yet. There's still more to do. One time I was watching an interview with John Hagee. Maybe you've heard of him on TV, pastor, big time minister, and um, well-known across the nation around the world, friend of Israel. Anyway, he, he, he was on this interview, and one time he was talking about, are you afraid being such a visible figure in the community and in the world? And he said, I don't live in fear. He had someone come into his church one time and actually shoot at him, and fortunately he deflected the person as they were shooting, and it caused his Bible to go to confetti, basically, but uh, they hit off on the wall up above, and so he said this, and this is what I'm getting at. He said, I have come to this conclusion. I will not die one minute before God is ready for me to die, and I will not die one minute after God is ready. I will die when God is ready. I don't live in fear. During this pandemic, we want to be smart, but we don't want to live in... We want to live in faith during this pandemic. can't control everything around us, but we can live in faith. So let's break this verse apart, look at it here, and see what God is saying to us about this truth that he's dropping on them there and on us now. He says first in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. 
Notice he does not say, I am a light. He does not say, I'm one of several lights. He didn't just say, I happen to be the light for now. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light for all time. There's one, there's only. And that is me, Jesus is saying of himself. I am here as the light of the world. Now, Jesus would often draw a comparison to something or an analogy to something around him. If he was in John chapter 4 talking to the lady at the well, he talks about water and living water. If he's out in the field somewhere where there's grain, he'll start talking about the grain. And if a piece of grain goes into the ground and then it dies, it grows, he starts teaching in the relevancy of the moment using props and illustrations. Here he says he's the light of the world. They have four big candelabras that are part of this particular courtyard. And they would remind the people of the big torches that God's presence represented whenever he gave them a pillar of fire at night as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and out into the wilderness. They would remind them of light that they had had that guided them and led them. And so Jesus is now standing, if you will, for everyone to hear him. And he is saying, I am the light of the world. And he's letting them know what he is saying. So when they understand this, and they understand their Bible and the, the Pentateuch in the first five books in Genesis chapter 1. And, and in verse 3, they understand the first part of God's creation is light. So Jesus is coming in here and he is saying to them, As the sun, S-U-N, is the center of the solar system, so am I, the sun, S-O-N, the center of all salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, you may try to fill your life with anything else, but you will never fill it until you allow Christ to come in and fill your life. He can make all of the difference in the world. That's who he is. That's what he does. And it's a powerful truth that Jesus is laying on them because he wants them to not be lost. He wants them to find hope. And he wants us to find that same hope today. This is who he is. And so as they would have followed that pillar of fire in their forefathers in their early years, so they would have sung the song in Psalm 27 and 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says this of God. You wonder about God, who he is, what he's all about? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. In other words, he is purity. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is holiness. And in him is no unrighteousness, impurity, filth at all. Notice what he says here as he continues to unpack this for us. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. That is powerful. Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus several hundred years before. In chapter 9 and verse 2, he said this, The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus was fulfilling this right there in their very presence. He's fulfilling this. First John chapter 1 and verse 7 says it this way. Listen to this. If you have a choice, your free will, if we walk in the light, that is his righteousness, his truth, his salvation, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, embracing him, we have fellowship with him, one with another, and his blood continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isn't this powerful stuff? Because the truth about this is we need this kind of cleansing in our heart and life. Right. Now, follow me just for a second here. There are a couple of types of sin that we would, we would know about. There is a sin of commission. 
let's say that I know my brother always gets up in the morning at seven o'clock and I am in the house and I'll go to the kitchen early before my brother gets there and I'll stand by the doorway when he gets there so I can trip him. I plan on doing that. I'm going to trip him. I'm going to make him mad. I'm going to make his day start off bad. That is a sin of commission. I plan on committing that beforehand, so I did it. Premeditated murder, commission. Robbed a bank with anticipation, commission. Told a lie when I knew there wasn't the truth, commission. There's also the sin of omission. I don't know this is wrong. I didn't think about this ahead of time. I maybe just got caught up in something, and I don't even know that I've done it. Notice what that verse said. Put it back up if you would. It said this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. In other words, if I choose to do right following him as he is in the light, I have fellowship with him and the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. If you go back just a verse or or so away from that, you're going to find if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us. So you know what happens here? If I, have con- if I have done something I shouldn't have done, I confess it to him. That's what David did in a penitential psalm, several of them. He said, I shouldn't have, I did it, but it doesn't justify sinning. Paul said, should I continue in sin that grace should abound? No, I don't do that. I turn from that. That's what repentance means. So I turn away from that and I say, oh, wow, God, I don't want to do that anymore. And he forgives us from that. And these sins of omission that we do, his blood residually, listen, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That means if you died and you've got this stuff going on in your life, you don't even know it's sin. He forgives you and he makes you right before God. That's where we get our word justification. Can I get a, can I get a witness somewhere in the house? Keep going, Kev. Let me illustrate it this way. I heard a story a long time ago. It was night out on the big waters. There was a big ship sailing and they could see another light ahead. So as they see that other light ahead, the big ship radios to the light. If you're out there, move five degrees to the north. A voice came back and said, if you're out there, move five degrees to the south. The ship radio captain came on this time. He said, I am the captain of this ship. I said, move five degrees to the north. The other light comes back on the radio. I am the lighthouse. Move five degrees to the south. (laughs) He's the truth. And the scripture says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He is the light. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another in his blood. Notice what he says right here. We have the light of life. We have the light of life in verse 12, it says right here. The psalmist says in 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and it is a light to my path. In other words, your word is a lamp. A lamp illuminates the next step I'm going to take. It's like I'm holding this lamp. It illuminates the next step I'm going to take. Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I live in this house? It illuminates the way I should go. Your word, Lord, shows me the way I should go. It is a lamp. It's also the high beam. It is a light unto my path. 
This is powerful stuff. So I don't only see the next step that I should be taking, I also can see the next steps that he wants me to see. And so I begin to understand his will. And as I begin to move more and more the way he wants me to go, I'm able to experience a victory he wants me to experience. Isaiah writes this in 60 and 1. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And that's exactly what happened in this temple where Jesus was talking in the court. They saw the scripture happen right there before their very eyes. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says it this way, For God, who said, Let there be light in darkness, Genesis chapter 1 and 3 is what it's talking about, has made this light, Jesus, shine in our heart so that we could know the glory of God that is seen on the face of Jesus Christ. This is powerful. It's amazing. He shines away for our day-to-day life. That's why in the pattern prayer, Jesus would pray the prayer and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In the garden, he said, take this cup out from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. This is why he's trying to teach us how to live. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this to us. In him, Jesus, was life, and that life was a light for all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, this light will never go out. Jesus Christ is the truth in any culture, no matter how popular, no matter how unpopular he may be. He is the truth in any culture, in any place, in any way. Jesus Christ is that one. I told you last week that my family prayed for all of our family every night, extended family. All of our family, we would kneel down by the couches and the chairs that we had around our living room, the hassock or whatever you call that thing. We'd kneel down and we would pray and I learned to pray that way. And, and we had to pray out loud, one at a time. And so we would pray for all of our cousins and aunts and uncles and for our own family, and for our neighborhood. And we would pray. We had a rough neighborhood. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. And then we had all kinds of relatives that went the wrong way. And I remember praying specifically for one of my cousins, that God would be with him. He got involved in all kinds of bad stuff, all kinds of, of drugs and, and alcohol and things that weren't good and partying and all kinds of things. And he would get in trouble and he ended up having an accident, and when he was in this accident, it killed one of his friends. And uh, he spent time in prison, and it's not a pretty thing, and he's not proud of that. And I didn't spend so much time hanging around them, but years passed, and I was called to go back to Missouri to a large church camp to preach, and there would be hundreds of people there. Uh, two or three times this size in the crowd, and there would be a lot of people. And so you, you don't see everybody. And I, I was preaching as the main speaker of the camp. And so I was walking up this little roadway, and as I walked up this roadway, I looked up and I saw coming at me my cousin, because it was not far from where he lived. And he looked at me with a bright countenance and a smile on his face. And we hugged. And he said, Kevin, I'm not the same person anymore. I have changed. He had turned. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, Jesus says here, we have the light of life. Do you have the light of life? Have you accepted Christ? Not religion. 
Christ, the real person, died on the cross, rose from the dead for you, as if you're the only one for you, for me. Now, if you go back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when you are in the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to see several things that unfold for us. But we see that many have come to the light and have been set ablaze for God. And as we come to the light and are set ablaze for God, we see what he says to us. Matthew 5, he says, now you, and he points out to his listeners, you are the light of the world. Take this light and share it. When we gather for candlelight service, we light each other's candle and go around the room. As symbolic of that, we light off the Christ candle, every candle in the room, off the Christ candle. And he says, you are the light of the world. Peter was transformed. First time Jesus saw Peter, he said to him, I will transform you. When Jesus looks at you and looks at me, he, he, he's not worried about necessarily where he finds us, but he's telling us, I can do something with you if you'll just let me. Isn't that awesome? I love that about him. It's an amazing thing. Mary, not the mother of Jesus, another Mary, she had a bad life. Man, she was not necessarily a person with a great reputation, but she ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The first person Jesus would talk to on his resurrection after he comes out of the grave was Mary. Are you kidding me? Wow, she has a light of life. Doesn't matter where you've been, as Anthony said. Doesn't matter what you've done. Oh, my stars. His grace reaches to you, his love, his hope, his life. His light shines out to you, and he offers hope. This is so powerful. Now he says, you'll be transformed. You'll be transformed. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, you're a royal priest now. It says, you're a holy nation, speaking of us being transformed. You're God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness those sins, he's called you out of that into his glorious light. And some of you go to your place of work and they want you to do something that's not really within the bounds of what you know your conscience would allow and not within the bounds of what you know the scripture would want and not within the bounds of what God has in mind for you. So you know you would violate your relationship with Christ to do what they're asking you to do. And I had a man my age stop me between services and said that's exactly the type of stuff I'm dealing with at my work right now. And we prayed with him right over here after service. And you're sitting there and you, you just feel like you're called out. You feel like you're the oddball in the room. You feel like you're the weird one. When reality is you're just being the light of the world. And you're saying, I can't, I, I, I can't do that. I won't do that. We're not comfortable with that. And the reason that you get pushback sometimes is because darkness tries to overtake the light. But Jesus says, darkness will never overtake the light. And he says, what I want you to do is stay strong. You don't have to be a weirdo rebel about it. Stay strong. And seek the truth and let the truth set you free. Notice what Jesus would say in that passage. He said, you're the light of the world. And now he says this, he says this, it's important. He says, you're a city set on a hill. You're a city set on a hill. Now, if you get in your car at night, you ever get in your car at night? If you do, say yes. Yeah. If you do, say yes. Yeah. yeah, I get in my car at night. 
And so get in the car at night and left my house, drive up to the end of the road, turn right onto Blue Mountain. That's a road that goes around in front of the campus right here, okay? We go past the little storage sheds. If you know where I am, say yes. If we go past the car wash, if you know where I am, say yes. You're tracking. If you come past that and you look across where you can see the church, you kind of see the top of the church, you look way over there. It's night. Don't forget it's night. It's nighttime, so you're going across there. All of a sudden, it looks like there's a lighted mesh. Looks like a UFO way over there to your right trying to land. I've seen that for years. And I didn't know where it was exactly because I had never been there. So I said to my wife, wife? <laughs> no, I said to my wife, I said, tell you what I want to do. I want to uh, get in our chariot some Sunday after we have lunch. And we just take a Sunday afternoon drive. Did you ever take a Sunday afternoon drive? I took so many of those when I was a kid. My dad would take me all over and show me where all our dead relatives used to live. It was the most boring. I hated Sunday afternoon drives. Oh, Lord. But I didn't want to show her where any dead relatives were because I don't have any around here. Thank God. And so we were driving along and we're finding that place because we found out it was over there. What is it called? Again, I wrote it down so I'd remember it. What is that? Oh, it's Bear Creek Mountain Ski Resort. Yeah. So we got to see it. A city set on a hill. And that's what, you're, that's what you are if you follow Christ. If you're a boss, an employer, your city set on a hill. If you're a teacher, leading all those students you have, you're a teacher set on a hill. If you're a worker on the assembly line, you're a city set on a hill. If you're the only person out of your whole family that follows Jesus Christ, you're the light of the world and you're a city set on a hill. And you'll feel that pushback sometime. When you fly at night, any of you ever flown at night? Raise your hand if you've flown at night. Yeah, it's fun. And you get to look out the windows and you can see over here. <clears throat> it's pretty amazing if, you get, if you're close to a window and you can see, you can tell the next town that's coming up or the next city that's coming up. And then there's darkness, darkness, darkness. And then there's another town, another city, farms, all that stuff. You can just see it. It's amazing how that light can shine all the way to where you are. You can see it. It's an amazing thing. You can see it. And it's just amazing to be able to go through there. Jesus says, in a dark world, you will be the light of the world. Do you have the light? <clears throat> Is the light free to shine through you? Do you need to clean the glass off so you can shine through better? As if you are a lamp that needs to be shined up? Some of you may remember a few years ago uh, Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew. Uh, if you remember that, say yes. Big hurricane, one of the biggest. Hurricane Andrew made his presence known in Florida. Now, recently we've had, and Pastor Dwight prayed in his prayer, remember the people in Texas, because they've kind of had the effect of a hurricane with uh, cold bursting pipes and ceilings and ruining their homes. Because their water pipes there, they don't have the heat, so they get the effect. But in Florida, where they had this hurricane come through, it rocked so many places, and so many people's lives were just absolutely messed with. Here's what happened. There was a lady named Norena. Norena had some insurance money come to her, so they started making repairs throughout her house. 
her house was starting to shape up and look pretty good. And then she ran out of money, so the contractors stopped. Not finished, just stopped. She was able to live there, but she had no power in the house. She figured a way to get extension cords that she could hook up somewhere outside and bring electricity into her house. So she did all of her things that she needed electricity for in the house by bringing in extension cords and plugging in and cooking or plugging in and heating water or plugging in and doing some stuff like that. That's how she made it. For 15 years. Not 15 hours. Not 15 days. Weeks, months, 15 stinking years. Some government officials heard about that. They became concerned about it and said, we ought to do something about it. So what they did, they called the electrician and said, you go over, send the bill to us. Let's get this taken care of. So the electrician went over, and guess what? You can find it in the news, news article. You can find it. They went over, and a couple of hours later, they had all the electricity hooked up. All the electricity hooked up. They said, what are you going to do first? She said, I am going to run a bath and create a warm, hot bubble bath. I have not had one of those in 15 years, and I'm going to do that. And she went on to say this, her words, it's hard to describe having the electricity come on to switch on. It's overwhelming. In our world today, we try to fill our life with these kind of things that give us the buzz we're looking for. The first is a phone call. <laughs> the that was right on cue, man. That wasn't even my prop. Bill, was that you? Uh, I love you. Uh, the first that we go for is money. Everybody say money. money. First thing we go for is money. There is nothing wrong with money. Money is a good thing. We have to have it to eat. You can go eat in a little bit. You need to have a little money with you, right, to get some food. You got to have money. But when money has us, that's the problem. And we'll go for every way we can to angle to get another buck. Money. The next one is sex. It's part of God's creation. Nobody created other than God. But the people that walk in darkness pervert that. And what happens in our culture is we try to fill this void in our life with that. And we try to fill it, and we can't fill it with that. So what we do if we're not careful, we go online, we start exploring all kinds of websites that are filthy and rotten and polluted, and they addict us. And they take us to places we never thought we would go, and it will call your name. You'll go there because you will get flat out addicted if you pervert this beautiful thing. If you put it into married relationship, it's combustible, beautiful, and absolutely awesome. Celebrate it. Celebrate as often you want. It's great. All right. Money, sex, power. Everybody say power. Power is something that is absolutely crazy. You can take someone who doesn't even have a job and a title, yet they want to be the most powerful person in the room or in their family 
or on the committee or at the table or in line for buying something. Isn't it crazy? We go after power. We go after it all the time. One time I went out to eat with a guy who had just first few times he'd been to the church, sat down and said, how do I get on the church board? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, we're really not looking for you to worry about that. Um, but if you want to know, you come to the church and you start serving, and the way to go up at this church is to go down. Jesus took a towel. That's how we do it here. Power. You cannot fill your life with any of those things that are three primary heavy hitters in our culture and satisfy this God void. Only He can fill it. And He is the light of the world. Nobody else, no other teaching, no other person, no other prophet, no one. Only Him. And to prove it, He died on a cross Three days later, he rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses all around. He is Lord. Only him. That's it. That's really what I came here to tell you today. <clears throat> is he your light? Some of my friends before have said, do you need a light? <laughs> yes, I need Jesus. Do you have him? Not religion. Relationship. The next three Sundays, next weekend, Pastor Dwight will be preaching. The Sunday after that, my friend Larry Bird used to pastor Calvary Baptist. He's going to be preaching for me. And the third Sunday, Pastor Scott, sitting right here, is going to be preaching. I will not be preaching next three weeks. Thank you for your understanding. I need to take a break. I may be here some, but you won't see me much and uh, I just thank God I need to catch my breath a minute, and then we'll be back good to go on that fourth Sunday after that. I look forward as we continue the I Am series right through here. I look very forward to that. Our musicians are going to come. They're going to lead us in a closing song. We have not even been here an hour yet. Can you believe that? You listened fast enough, and it worked. And uh, I've told you before, if you listen fast, it worked, so it did. Let's bow our heads. Let's stand together, though, and prepare for the closing song. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for this day and the opportunity to be together. We love you. We love this wonderful privilege of being here as part of this church, and we thank you for what you're doing among us and in us. So, Lord, we pray today that if someone is opening their heart to you, maybe for the first time, to receive you, I pray as we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive our sin, you said. So hear that prayer come into their life, light up their life with the truth, with your way, remove those things that need to be removed and just let your light shine. Lord, others maybe are having to clean, kind of the, clean the globe of their life today because you've shown them some things. Say, hey, you'll shine brighter if you just, you know, adjust a little bit here or there. So Lord, if you're showing us, help us to do it. And for all of us, we thank you that you're the light of the world and that we can come to you. We praise you for who you are and what you're doing in us and what you've done for us in your name. Amen.